Hello and welcome back to Tectonic, a show in which we look at the way technology is changing our lives. I'm John Thornhill, Innovation Editor at the Financial Times in London. In this episode, we hear from an Estonian entrepreneur who helped shake up international telecoms as one of Skype's first employees and is now doing the same for the money transfer business. I think London is the fintech capital of the world. It's a unique place where you get fin and tech coming together in a way which doesn't happen in Silicon Valley or in New York. China tends to be a somewhat closed ecosystem, so when it comes to offering fintech services for the Western world, I don't think a Chinese company will be in the picture anytime soon. That was Tarvit Hinrikas, co-founder and chairman of TransferWise, a fintech that is not only highly valued at over a billion dollars, but is profitable too. Now, you were born in Estonia, which I used to love visiting when I was a correspondent in Moscow. That was back in the 1990s, and since then it has flourished into this remarkable digital economy. What is it about Estonia that produces all of these startups? I think there are a couple of things which are behind it. You know, going back to the Soviet times, we were already really doing well in all the STEM areas. Estonia had quite a bit of research. We were very productive. We were manufacturing electronics and so on. So I think that's kind of one side of it. Another side is that I think that during Soviet times, even though private enterprise and private business was prohibited, I think people were quite entrepreneurial because in general there was a lack of everything. So if you needed something, your best option was to build it. So I think it gave people a very good hands-on entrepreneurial attitude and skills. And then, you know, when the Soviet Union fell apart, we started out building the country from a kind of a carte blanche, which was quite exciting. And I think we got a few things right to build a modern capitalist society. What were the secrets for success? I think we got lucky with the government. You know, it was mostly young people who might not, have known what they were doing, but you know, who saw as an ideal a Western society instead of trying to do what happened in many other places and you know, trying to become rich themselves. So, I think we got an idealistic young crowd who did a certain set of reforms. And as a result, if you look now, Estonia has probably done best out of all the ex Soviet republics. But and then, kind of building on that, we got really lucky with the fact that Skype was built in Estonia. And you were the first employee of Skype. How did that come about? I ended up meeting the Skype founders, and they asked me to help them with something. I was kind of before Skype. I was actually still in university. And studying. Studying computer science. Uh And then I helped them and kind of turned into more than a full-time job. And then (laughs) one of the next things I was working on became Skype. You know, I, I dropped out from university to focus on building Skype and... You know, I think in retrospect, that was a good choice. And what I learned when building Skype, the experience of going through that kind of hyper growth was really, really, really valuable. Well, that's obviously a fantastic learning experience to go through all of that. And then you moved to London and you set up TransferWise. How did that come about? It was really during my time at Skype that I realized what a massive ripoff is happening with foreign exchange. So during my Skype time, I was living in Estonia, but I moved to London at one point. And every month I went to my bank in Estonia. I went there, I said, hey, I have a thousand euros, I'd like to transfer it to London. And my bank said, Mr. Tavet, we're happy to do it. We're going to charge you 25 euros for it. You know, 25, it feels a bit much, but you know, what choice do I have? So I said, yes, let's do it. Then I go to London, I go to my bank in London, I look at my bank statement, 
and I see a couple surprises. First one is I received much less money than I thought I would receive. A thousand euros minus 25, I have 975. I look at the exchange rate on Google and, you know, I should receive, let's say, 800 pounds. But, you know, my account showed 750. So I realized that the exchange rate that the banks use is very different to the exchange rate that we see on Google or that actually gets used between banks in the interbank market. That was the first one. And second one, money took forever, three, four, five days to arrive. So, you know, 21st century, emails go instantaneously. It kind of left me feeling puzzled and frustrated, you know, losing lots of money and, you know, bank keeping hold of it for a long time. So in Jeff Bezos's world, your margin is my opportunity. You saw the fat margins that all these banks were making as a business opportunity. Exactly. And, you know, I guess we weren't so focused on the margin the bank was making. You know, it turns out that some banks are actually notoriously bad at doing it. And so they don't make that fat margin at all. They just have a very bloated infrastructure. But some banks clearly make tons of money as well. But, you know, then I met Christo, who later became my co-founder, another Estonian guy living in London. And he was sending some money back to Estonia from London. And he had the same experience. He went to the bank. He stood in line for an hour and a half. And then the same thing happened. So we met and we started talking about it and realized that, wait a moment, there must be a better way of doing it. So next month, I transferred money from my account in Estonia to his account in Estonia. And he transferred money from his account in London to my account in London. So both of these transfers are free and fast. And we looked at Google for the exchange rate. And boom, very quickly, we had saved thousands of pounds in bank fees, which was, you know, a very substantial amount of money. And then, you know, we started doing it this way amongst a group of friends. And a couple of years later, we were both thinking, hmm... You know, what do we want to do with our lives? And we realize this problem, you know, many people have it. There are hundreds of millions of people who either work, live or study abroad. And we thought we can do something to help them. So we built TransferWise and in a very entrepreneurial kind of minimum viable product kind of way, we launched it. It was very different to what it is today. It didn't look as fancy. We didn't promise you a lot. But we put it out there to see if people are willing to trust a website which appears on the internet with thousands of pounds of the money. And 15 minutes after launching, we had the first customer sending 2,000 pounds. That was a kind of, wow, you know, what do we do now? <laughs> well, a nice problem to have if you get that reception so quickly. And how did you grow it? I mean, as you said, there's a market opportunity there. But how did you... A, get your brand name known, and B, have enough resources to grow this as a viable business. So when we launched it, it was really the two of us, me and Christo. We quickly realized that being just two of us won't get us too far. So we started thinking, like, how do we run as quickly as possible? You know, there is a huge opportunity ahead, but clearly you have to be fast in order to capitalize on it. So we started building a team. We started finding out ways of how do we expand quickly, we went to the venture capital community to raise money. So kind of all of these things in the best ways we knew back then. And the result is now we have a team of 1,300 people and we have a global company which is helping 4 million people move money across the world. What's so the total size of your money transfers? What was it last so, year and likely to be this year? So we're moving about £3 billion on a monthly basis today. We grew the business around, uh, I think last year was 80% around about that and going forward we're looking at kind of a similar growth rate maybe you know 60 70 percent and many people are trying to do the same thing as you what makes you distinctive 
We are really focused on giving consumers the best deal. So we've kind of built a company with a DNA of being customer focused. You know, and we often think about how does a bank figure out how big is the markup on the exchange rate? And, you know, I think uh, probably kind of like as I look up in the air and think, what's the biggest number we can put there and get away with it? So we started kind of in an opposite way. When you use a bank, you end up losing between 5 and 10% of the money you send. You know, we kind of thought about it diametrically opposite. How little can we charge while still build a fast-growing company that is profitable in the model? So, you know, we, we charge 10 times less than a bank does. You know, we have dropped our prices 30 times in the past year. And I think that's kind of the key for success, being focused on your customers getting the best deal. So give me an example. If I wanted to transfer £1,000 from London to Tallinn, how much would it cost me with an average bank and how much with TransferWise? So with TransferWise, it would cost you about £5 and your money will be there within a couple of hours. If you go to a bank, you have to still oftentimes go and stand in line and fill in a form in the branch. It will take a couple of days and you will typically pay still probably a fee of £20. And then depending on the bank, they will have a markup on the exchange rate, 2 3 4 5%. Now, the European Parliament has voted to increase transparency in this market when they adopt the cross-border payments regulation. Is that going to help you? It will absolutely help. So we're actually really proud that we are shining a light on what we look at as a global huge issue. And what happens is people have no idea that banks are giving them such a bad deal, so they're not really pressuring through banks. They have no way of comparing between, you know, is bank A better than bank B? Banks oftentimes say, we do it for free, and that means they have an even bigger markup on the exchange rate. So there was a vote in the European Parliament adopting new regulation for cross-border payments, which will have much bigger transparency, which will make it much more visible to everyone and makes it possible for people to compare different providers. I think it's a huge win for everyone. Similarly, in Australia, the government asked the local competition authorities to take a look at it. Like I think we're seeing that there is an overall movement towards more transparency happening around the world. Now, you've attracted some quite big-name investors in TransferWise, Andreessen Horowitz, the big Sandhill Road firm on the West Coast, and Richard Branson. How much money have you taken in in total in investment, and when are you looking to IPO? So we have raised about $400 in total over the years. And when it comes to an IPO, we have no plan today. We're really focused on continuing to build this business to see how far we can take it. So at the moment, you're very much in scaling up mode. Absolutely. Eventually, it's highly likely we'll be a public company, but it's not something that we are actively working on as we speak. You know, I don't think it would be easier to keep on growing the business if we were public. You know, we have enough capital. You know, in the world today, there is access to enough capital as a private company, and our investors are very happy if we keep. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.
keep on focusing on growing and scaling. Now, the last full set of numbers that I saw from TransferWise were 2016, and you had turnover of about $36 million and a loss before tax of $23 million. What's the story been since then? So I think the numbers for a year later are also public. And a year later, we had £117 million of revenue and a six million pound profit. So we're definitely continuing to grow the business very successfully. And we have a business model which is profitable and we've been able to demonstrate it for the past two years. So I think that puts us in a quite uh, little set of companies which are fast growing tech companies that are profitable in the model. And how many countries are you now operating in or how many currencies perhaps more relevantly? We are available in more than 40 countries. So very big markets for us are US, Brazil, Canada, over in the West and all over Europe. And then also Australia, Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan, you know, the problem we're dealing with is inherently global. And, you know, as we build the business, we kind of, we're not even surprised anymore when we go to a new country and we realize that it's equally bad as any other place in terms of banks offering a really poor service and overcharging customers for it. Now, one way that you've been able to build your brand very quickly is because you've had some quite out there advertising marketing. Has that been a very deliberate strategy? I mean, you've had um, scantily clad models in very cold places and you've had Spider-Man climbing the GDF Tower in Paris and so on. Was this all part of the brand image that you wanted to make an impact? I think when you start out building a business in the beginning, you know, you do need to stand out. And, you know, I think we've had the kind of a disruptor mindset from the beginning and, uh, We did try hard to make sure we stand out in the beginning. And we did things which were a lot of fun to do. They did give us quite a lot of publicity. But I'm not sure these would be the right things to do anymore. Like, I kind of look at this as a journey of growing up. You know, the things you did as a teenager, you know, you probably don't want to do anymore. You maybe want to forget about doing them in the first place. You know, I think... I'm very respectable now. Like, you know, we're... As a brand, we still stand for the same things. But I think maybe the tools we use should evolve and they have evolved. What's the hardest thing for a company that is growing this fast? Hiring people. You know, we hired more than 500 people in the past year. I don't think there's one single secret. It's about using your existing employees as recruiters. Everyone has friends, you know, everyone that works for you is the best ambassador for the company. It's about making yourself known as a great place to work, taking good care of people, There's no single silver bullet, unfortunately. And which are the skills that you're looking for that are in the most short supply? We are hiring people all over, from customer support to data science to marketing. And uh, it's really hard to say which one is the hardest. I think they're all hard, you know. Maybe we need to hire 10 customer support people next week, so that's a challenge for someone. And then finding the right person for product marketing in India... It's a different kind of challenge. So I think, you know, it's, I don't want to say that one is more or less valuable or harder. They're all really important and all hard to do at scale. Has Brexit made it a lot harder to find good people? I think we haven't seen the full picture yet. Anecdotally, we get questions from lots of people who work for us in London. We have hundreds of people in the London office and many of them are not British. So, I mean, that was the first question from the people who work for us, like, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to be allowed to stay here? You know, myself included. I'm an Estonian. I don't have a British passport. I live here. I like to live in London. You know, am I going to be allowed to stay here? That was the first question. And then, you know, you start getting questions from people who are 
applying for jobs like hey can I still relocate is it going to be harder do I have to go back later lots of uncertainty which does not make it easier to hire people in London and I imagine Transferways is a very mobile business so you could move to Berlin or Dublin if you so wanted I guess we could like we've never thought about uh, moving the company we are headquartered in London and we're really happy with that and uh, you know we will need to open up another office in Europe to serve our European customers and then also what it means in terms of hiring is you know if it becomes harder to hire in London we'll hire these people elsewhere which you know is unfortunate for London but you know as a company we need to keep on hiring these people so we'll hire them wherever we find them yep now i'd like to drill down into the business in a bit more detail and as you know my colleagues on Alphaville have been somewhat sceptical about the business model that you have had and quoted some rivals to your company saying they don't quite understand how you can get away with super low prices when you're dependent on the same sources of funding as other people. So they suggest it's one of three things. It's either a loss-leading strategy to build market share, either your overheads are lower, or you are taking on more risk as a principal agent and not necessarily pricing that risk appropriately. Which one of those is it? I think your colleagues at Alphaville have become awfully quiet over the past uh, three years when we've proven out that as a company we're fast growing and profitable. So I'd say it's none of the three. So how do you offer keener prices than other people when you appear to have the same funding sources? If you go on the interbank markets and actually the cost of exchanging millions of euros into millions of pounds is not as high as a retail bank may charge its customers. We don't have a retail office branch network to support. We are actually really good at making use of technology to automate things. So it's really about being efficient and being focused on offering one service really well. And that means that you can do it in a profitable way without having to have a loss leader strategy and without taking any amount of risk. And does that give you a sufficient enough moat to defend your business? I mean, can other people do exactly the same as you're doing? Of course they can. And, you know, in the end, competition is probably good for everyone. Yet, if you think about payments, and I think payments inherently are a scale business. You know, it's taken us seven years to build our infrastructure, and we're continuing to do it. You know, we were the first non-bank to get access to the faster payment network in the UK, which enabled us to move money instantaneously. You know, doing all of these things is a huge investment we've made and we're continuing to do it. And that means the price we can offer our customers becomes lower and lower because we have the same infrastructure. We put more and more payments through it. So I think actually the scale effects are really big here. And anyone starting today will need to invest for seven years to get to where we are. But guess what? By that time, we're going to be at a whole different point ourselves. So I feel really good about having a very long-term strategy focused on the same thing that we've been doing so far. And how does London stack up as a centre for fintech relative to Silicon Valley or China? I think London is the fintech capital of the world. It's a unique place where you get fin and tech coming together in a way which doesn't happen in Silicon Valley or in New York. I'm less familiar with China and I think China tends to be a somewhat closed ecosystem. So while on a macro view, I think China is very competitive to Silicon Valley and to Europe, when it comes to offering fintech services for the Western world, I don't think a Chinese company will be in the picture anytime soon. So I think London is a great place. And if you look around the number of fintech successes here, you know, with Monzo being really successful, taking on the current account market, 
funding circle, just IPO with the peer-to-peer lenders. I think we are seeing London as a fantastic place and best place to build a fintech company. I guess one of the big differences that historically has been true between Silicon Valley and Europe has been what Reid Hoffman, I think, calls blitz scaling. You just have businesses with interesting ideas throwing huge amounts of capital to take a business global very quickly. Do you think European companies are now learning to blitz scale? I think so. I think we have demonstrated ourselves. You know, it's absolutely true that there is much more experience doing that in Silicon Valley. It's hard to do it in Europe because to find people who've done it, it's really hard. And, you know, convincing people to move from Silicon Valley to London is also hard. But as we build up a European generation of companies, you know, Europe is starting to have that experience. You look around the companies that have IPOs. Spotify, Adyen, you know, these companies have performed super well in the stock market. You could even say better than the American peers. So, Spotify? Well, Spotify, you know, maybe not during the past months, but, you know, overall, it's one of the most valuable European tech companies now. And I think they're here to stay. You look at what Adyen did. And, you know, the experience of building these companies is now going to be spread around the next generation of companies in Europe. So your ambitions really are global, not just European. Absolutely. And who would you see as your biggest competitors at the moment? It's the banks. It's the Barclays. It's the Citibank of the world. That's what customers use right now. And, you know, if they don't know how much they're paying them, they'll keep on using it. So transparency will help people open their eyes and, you know, will make more and more people switch to better alternatives. All right. Now, we often ask our guests three questions. What do you think is the most underrated or overrated technology at the moment? Blockchain. Which way? Probably most overrated we're still not seeing enough real use cases being deployed. So you're not going to be using it for money transfers technology? Well, we've looked hard. We haven't found a way to make use of it. As a techno-optimist, I'm still optimistic, but I think there are way too many people slapping a blockchain sticker on anything which you know would be much better done in Microsoft Excel. Second question, what's the biggest threat to the technology industry at the moment? I think we might be getting to a point where... So technology companies are becoming the new bad guys, you know. We started out being all optimistic and trying to build a better world. And then somewhere along the way, it looks like things may have gone wrong. You know, you look at... In what way? You look at Facebook, you know, what's been happening over the past year. And, you know, partially I think these companies may have been just too focused on bit scaling and saw too little about the role in society. I'm still hopeful that this can be fixed and just, you know, Hopefully it's only an issue which impacts a few companies and they'll be able to fix it. But I think it's a big danger out there that a tech backlash will happen and I don't think there's anyone that's going to win from it really. Okay, final question. What book would you recommend to our listeners to understand this new technological world that we're moving into? Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, I actually think so. I don't have a great book to name but I think the best thing actually is to try to use the products and you know try to go and work for these companies to actually get a feel for how things are happening. The speed of change and attitude that you have in a typical tech company is very different to what you have in a typical non-tech company so the best thing to do is to go work for one you know until they will overtake your current company anyways. (laughs) Wonderful thank you very much David. Thank you. We'll be back with another episode of Tectonic next week. In the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, take a look at our subscriber offers at ft.com forward slash offer. This episode of Tectonic was produced by Fiona Simon.